0: Welcome to Osteocast, where we talk all things osteopathy, functional anatomy, and movement. With your hosts, myself, Colby Brockel,
1: Amanda Boisen, and Sarah Pucal.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Osteocast. Uh, your hosts, Colby, Sarah, and Amanda today.
1: Hello.
2: Hi.
0: Today we're going to talk about uh, dental work and osteopathy. So we are by no means dentists uh, or denturists or anything of that nature. We're just osteopathic practitioners. Uh, But we wanted to jump on and have a conversation about how dental work can be affected by osteopathy or how it can affect the body as a whole and some of the considerations to have before getting dental work or after getting dental work and and some of the structures and functions uh, that can change based on that. So... Uh, the first one that I wanted to ask about, and I'll ask Sarah and Amanda first propose this question, is when you have your wisdom teeth extracted, kind of what is your thoughts about the wisdom teeth, uh, about an extraction for there, kind of why it needs to happen and then or doesn't need to happen. And what are some of the structures in, in the area that can be affected by that or or what's most commonly seen in your practice anyways?
1: So when someone has their wisdom teeth extracted, usually it's because the jaw is too small that there isn't enough room for those teeth to come in, that they're going to put too much pressure on the other teeth and change the alignment of the teeth. So anytime you have any type of tooth removed, especially a wisdom tooth, you're undergoing jaw surgery. So you're most likely sitting in that dental chair with your chin up, jaw wide open, that TMJ, that temporal mandibular joint, open as wide as possible through the entire extraction process. So just imagine the effect that's having through the muscles in the face, so along the jaw, the outside part of your cheek, as well through the entire neck, having your chin up like that, compression through the back of the neck, lengthening through the front, tension kind of through the cranium it's all connected from the fascia from the top of the head going all the way through the neck and um, Uh. I know in my practice I see a lot of clients that come in who've had dental work and especially when you talk about their wisdom teeth you can always find a lot of issues going on through the upper cervical region so through the upper neck uh, and on every layer of tissue from the fascial to the soft tissue layer uh, into the bony tissues as well
2: yeah, so when we we're talking, Colby specifically asked about more so like structures too. Um, think of everything from like T two up, right? So we need to make sure that everything is resting and open, free from obstruction. Um, but more specifically, I always tend to look at the OAA relationship and the relationship between um, the hyoid bone and the jaw, um, and how those structures are connected into the neck as well, um, to make sure that. Um, if this person needs surgery and they're in my office prior to that, we're setting those structures up to, you know, allow for good blood flow and drainage to and from the area. Um, And if it's after surgery and they've been cleared by their, their dental practitioner, whoever did the surgery for manual treatment, then we're trying to make sure that everything is open um, for drainage, but also that um, we're allowing for that self-healing and self-regulating process to happen.
0: Yeah. And I always, question if the surgery is necessary or not, because I don't know if we're um, in too much of a rush to actually go and pull like impacted teeth out. But um, one thing to note is that it happens all the time. It's a very common dental surgery that we see. And there's a, a couple of structures right in the area. Obviously, you have the the entire face because of the pressure during the surgery. But also, when you take those teeth out, begin- or it creates a void uh, of space inside the jaw as well. So it gives it space so that the teeth can spread out a little bit or open up a little bit. But if the mouth or the jaw is not designed for those teeth to have less pressure, that can create some other issues as well in terms of bite um, over, over or under bite as well. So that's something to consider. And then with this consider- or with specifically the wisdom teeth, I suppose, is that those teeth are in very close proximity to... the the temporomandibular joint, but also where like the whole carotid sheath passes, which is your carotid artery, jugular vein, and the vagus nerve as well in there, passes right through that that canal. And if there's been a change in the jaw during the, the surgery itself, that it's been pushed to one side, forward or back, whatever it may be. That could cause some pressure on that that bundle, which obviously is the blood flow to and from the brain. So there could be a, a multitude of complications from that, as well as the vagus nerve, which controls the parasympathetic component of you know heart, lungs, upper two thirds of the digestive tract. So massive influence on the rest of the body based on that. So I think if that's a, a a surgery or something that's going to happen or needs to happen. I think it's wise once the healing process of the surgery itself is completed uh, to see a practitioner to make sure that everything else is functioning as well as it can. Um, because if it's not functioning as well as it can, then that can become longer term problems down the road with things like digestion or breathing or blood pressure, just depending on, on what effects it's had on the neurology there.
2: For sure. Such an interesting topic too, because how many, how many people do you know personally, or maybe within your practice that have had major dental work throughout their lifetime?
0: I would say more
2: huge majority.
0: Yeah. Like more than, yeah, exactly. More than not for sure.
2: Like everybody that you know, pretty much. Right. And I know myself, I've had a couple clients come into the clinic and, and they'll come in one day and something is completely different like what have you been doing like what has changed and and they'll tell you that within the last couple of days or even earlier that morning they'd been sitting in a dentist chair in that position that Sarah described where your mouth is is open and your head's tilted to the side and kind of tin tilted up um, and there's just so, there's just soft tissue lesioning in that area just from that alone right and those are just routine cleanings it's just awkward positions um, for you to be in for an extended amount of time.
0: Yeah, our jaws are definitely not meant to be held open in that position for that period of time. But at the same time, um, dental health and hygiene is very important. So don't skip out on those. Just make sure that you're taking so care important. Of, yeah, yeah. Make, just make sure you're taking care of any yourself leading into it. Like repercussions that come either before and, and or after those uh, those appointments.
1: And just, I think, to what we're saying is if you are somebody that has a lot of dental work or even any time before you go to the dentist, just plan your osteo appointments around that. So maybe come in a week or so before that dental appointment and then come back uh, a week after. As long as you haven't had any major surgery, then talk to your dentist when an appropriate time uh, to come in for treatment would be. But just so we can uh, negate and clean up any any tensions that have built up, like Amanda talked to you about opening the the drainage make sure we keep your circulation good there's no fluid sitting where it shouldn't be sitting and everything is flowing as it should be um, good neurological function keeping that nervous system as happy as it can be and it's all just about balancing out the body so making sure no tensions have arised And there is a big correlation between tension through the jaw and tension in the hips. So if you are somebody that has a lot of tension in your hips, maybe you sit for the majority of your day um, for your profession or just out of lifestyle habits, you have to also think how that tension through that jaw is going to relate down through the body uh, and into the different myofascial lines that go right across the chest, through the hips, down the legs. So there's a lot to consider um, with the jaw, right? A jaw is never a jaw. Well, and just to mention too that like your
2: OA and your AA really do control a lot of your head, the majority of your head and your neck motion, um, and your eyes have to stay level. So the the minute changes that are happening at that top level of the spine to make sure that your eyes and your ears match um, so you don't feel sick is, is huge. So all of those little muscles that are in there are really going to to adjust and change as needed, depending on the position that you're in the different tasks that you put on those, those structures to make sure that everything is aligned and, and finding that self self self-regulating balance too.
0: When I was just going to tie into what Sarah was saying is that as much as we can have a conversation and really get specific into certain regions of the body, it, Osteopathy itself is going to be looking at the system as a whole, and the jaw may be a problem that could be either causing lesions or problems below or above, or it could be something like Sarah was mentioning uh, from the hips or from the sacrum or from uh, a rolled ankle that can also create a, an imbalancing at that, basically at the base of the skull, which also would include the TMJ and the jaw position, right? Um, but another thing that I'd like to kind of mention along those things is as a patient and a practitioner, Um, As a patient, when you're filling out your health history and you're having conversations about uh, with your practitioner about what's going on or or how your body's progressed over time, please take note and mention some of the dental work you've had done, especially if anything major has been done, where you've had teeth uh, removed or implants put in or crowns put in or root canals and things like such. And then as a practitioner, you have to make sure that you're asking about those questions because you very well may find a upper cervical unit lesion or problem at the, the top of the cervical spine that just won't budge, but it's not. It's because it's not a cervical issue. It's actually uh, coming off of the jaw or coming off of some of the musculature that ties into the jaw and the hyoid or whatever that may be. So just make sure as a practitioner, you take that into consideration. And as a patient, if you're listening to, to mention any sort of major dental work you've had done to your practitioner, because that's something that for sure plays into the global picture.
2: And as a practitioner too, it can be really, really beneficial to treat the anterior cervical soft tissue prior to trying to attempt any OAA jaw work um, to make sure that you want to take all those structures um, into a balanced position before you start to try and change change the bony parts. So it's important that you're, you're looking at all the layers and not just, oh, this doesn't seem to flex or extend or... You know, as a as a global curve, this is side bending and rotating one way um, for the lower cervical unit. Um, but taking all of those things into consideration is really key because like Colby said, and Sarah said, it, it doesn't always have to be just a jaw issue.
1: No. And to piggyback on that, Amanda, drainage precedes supply. So as Amanda said, you need to uh, open up the neck and into the STA so making sure that all the big pumps in the body so through the chest through the belly there's good drainage going up and down the system so that way when you start to make changes and change the fluid dynamics there's somewhere for that fluid to go Oftentimes, if there's nowhere for that fluid to go, uh, that's when you might see clients with a headache after treatment, um, even just kind of telling you they don't feel completely settled or there's been a shift that hasn't been balanced yet. That's usually when you know that there is um, potentially a drainage issue that hasn't been cleared up yet. So just something to keep in mind. Again, we you know our topic is the jaw, but it's also interrelated, and you know your jaw can't function without everything around it. So we can't take the jaw and just talk about the jaw alone. It has to be incorporated to every part of the body.
2: Awesome. Well said. Um, what other jaw complaints have you seen in your office? Um, so we talked a little bit about wisdom teeth and why that's important. Um, but is there any other um, clinical um, scenarios you can think of related to the jaw? Well,
0: I think we had a little bit of a, like a general talk along with talking about wisdom teeth in terms of making sure that the jaw is functioning as it should and making sure that it's staying healthy. Um, but some of the most common, I guess, dental work things we see, one is wisdom teeth. Um, there's a lot of people who end up with cavities and root canals and or crowns and implants, um, which obviously taking part of the the sensory feedback from the teeth away can cause some effects in terms of knowing where your teeth are in position, as well as hot and cold uh, sensation of the tooth, which can can limit it ties in with the rest of the the jaw function and it can limit your ability to know. your teeth's ability to know where they are in place so it can cause some changing in shifting and also the change in your bite pattern. So depending on where those root canals and or crowns, implants, etc. have been done, that's something to consider. Uh, Another thing on top of that that I find quite common uh, is braces. A lot of people get braces, Invisalign or braces to some extent when they're younger. So do you guys want to speak to braces a little bit?
1: Uh, definitely. For braces in the clinic, in general, there's a lot of tension and restriction through the mastication muscles in the jaw. So the muscles that uh, end up clenching your jaw to create that chewing motion. Because um, when one has braces, they, usually they're in a little bit of pain with their teeth, right? You have to go in and continually getting that brace tightened for the correct alignment of the teeth, so you're going to build up tension through the jaw. Um, as mentioned already, the upper cervical region is really impacted by the stential appointments by the braces. Um,
0: well, like almost the compression
1: argument, through the back of the joint. Yeah,
0: I was going to say the argument for braces for me is there. There are kind of two sides. There's braces that are needed for proper dental function I would say and then there's braces that are cosmetic in nature right yes. and when you have someone's so see if teeth that are growing in crooked the question I always have is are they supposed to grow in crooked or not because everyone's jaw structure is different and if their jaw structure is designed for teeth to have a little bit of crookedness to them then pulling them into a position so that they look nice it uh, doesn't always increase the function of the jaw because it can change the the bony buildup of the mandible or the maxilla itself. So I am always curious with braces. I know that obviously it's a cosmetic thing and you can also consider the uh, mental health component and the confidence component and all the other things with having straight teeth or or more straight teeth than being crooked but basically with braces there's it's one of the two those two options but they they pretty much put whether it's plastic or a wire on there to pull your teeth into a new position and slowly pulling things into new position uh, in my opinion anyways with the force may not always be the best option when it comes to long-term health of the the things like the palate and the mandible and the temporomandibular joint and then anything that passes compensation wise downstream so i always and- kind of Curious on uh, – kind of curious with braces in terms of when it's actually beneficial and when it's not.
1: And the amount of – the length of time that braces are on, right? Most people – At least in my experience, they get told they'll have them for a year, maybe two, and usually that turns into three or five years. So it's not a short time either that you are creating these changes through the muscular structure, through the palate, as Colby said. It's kind of a very chronic, slow change. That your body is usually fighting against, and that's why your braces stay on so much longer because the job hasn't been done because your mouth isn't accepting this force change on it. So yeah. it is a really interesting uh, topic. You know, like
2: also to mention the age at which that generally starts, right? Like for the majority of people, they're prepubescent or go or starting to go through puberty when that those kind of things are generally prescribed um i mean What's, for for good or bad reason but it's just an interesting
0: well they i think they've tried to do opinion. it at a period of time where the body is growing anyways so they try and use the body's growth patterns to promote a better position or better shape correct of the the jaw and teeth but again I'd, it still depends on the structure that's supposed to grow in as far as i i kind of would consider with that um But another thing to consider with braces, and guys, we're not trying to bash this stuff and say that it's bad for you. We're just kind of opening eyes to some of this other thought process, is that when you put braces on, does it consider the structures nearby? So if you're trying to spread some teeth apart or get them to align properly, is that going to pull, like there's a joint between the two sides of the palate at the top of your mouth? And is it going to open that joint up? Is it going to compress that joint at all? And then what, under, like what factors, what does that change? What factors does that affect as well if you're going to start pulling on some of the cranial bones and how the cranial bones are put together in that, that period of time opposed to thinking just about the teeth? Well, what else is being pulled on and affected? Kind of like if you grab an arm and lift it over someone's head, of course it's going to pull the scapula and the clavicle and the ribs. Well, it's the same idea in my opinion with the teeth, but you're talking about the mandible and the maxilla and the palate and even the even as far as to go through the temporal bones and up into the parietals because of the connections, right?
1: And just yeah. speaking of uh, braces and the change, kind of as Colby's talking about through the cranial bones, I find I've been seeing a lot in the clinic, um, those that have some type of jaw issues. So usually it gets labeled as a TMJD, so temporal mandibular dysfunction. And oftentimes that is also associated with some form of tinnitus, so some form of like ringing or wind in the ear. Um, And it is interesting because usually, um, I can't think of anyone that hasn't had some form of intense dental work where they've had braces or a jaw expander, some type of dental intervention. And then they seem to also create these long-term dental restrictions and then into that inner ear. I don't know if that's something you've seen as well in the clinic and kind of the connection there through that dental work.
0: I think I see it on all levels, whether it's, it's hearing or even into vision, right? Because the mm-hmm. the dental cavity and the palate is part of the the base of the orbit. So, or it'll at least it will have an effect on the ethmoid and part of the orbit. So, I think that the important thing in this kind of podcast to get across to patients and practitioners and anyone who's listening is that we are by no means dentists and we're not bashing having dental work done at all. We think that if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. But just take into consideration some of the other components from it. And if you are happening happen to feel any of these things, consider some of the dental work that you may have already had done and make sure you mention that to whoever's helping you because that may give uh, someone a lot of insight in terms of what needs to be looked at to to help you deal with the issues you're dealing with.
2: Exactly. There's just so many things to consider as soon as you talk about like the upper T spine, cervical spine, head, and neck. There's just so many things going on in that area that um, it's always important to make those, those, or build those relationships between cause and effect and and why those things might be there, because that's the difference between getting specific in treatment versus more of a general treatment that might, might help 80% of the problem, but not a hundred percent of the problem.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. We always have those conversations, right? And it's like, every time we talk about osteopathy, we end up getting back to the point and being like, well, look at everything and make sure everything's adjusted appropriately. And I remember reading through some of the, the Dr. Still tech <laughs> early on, and it was like he'd go through like liver dysfunction, and then it would just be like, well, correct everything from the occiput to the toes, make sure everything's working properly aligned and, and soft tissues are good, and then you're good to go. And then you'd go to read about the kidneys, and it'd be the same thing. And then you go to read about the lungs and the same thing. Then you go to read about the hip and the same thing. It's like the point is that the body has to function as well as it can. And no matter what you do until you start to talk about specific cases or getting really detailed into anatomy neurology, physiology of things, it's like the whole body needs to function well and the entire body can affect any other part of the body. So it's funny how we always come back to that because that's, that's how things work. Right.
2: Yeah. I was just, as you were talking, I started laughing because I was just thinking the same thing. Like how many books have you read where you thought, Oh, this one piece is the key to everything. And then you finished reading that osteopathic text and it was like, and it's not. It's like the story of
0: everything. And it's like that whenever you're studying anything, it's like that, right? Because whatever you're studying at the time is like the new thing and it's something that that you may be able to apply and help people with. And then exactly, you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, so it's same as everything else. It's another tool, another thing to consider, but it's the same thing.
2: Yeah, got to use this when it's needed and not at any other time.
0: Exactly. Anyways, um, yeah, that was kind of our chat on 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 dental work and osteopathy, and I think that it's important again that it's something to be considered that probably enough of us don't consider. Um, but if you guys have any questions about it or anything to add on, like if anyone who listens is specializes in in dental work or is a dentist or something of that, like give us a shout and educate us. We'd be happy to learn more about it. So don't be shy. Reach out to us. at uh, our Instagram is at osteocast underscore. And then on Facebook, we're just Osteocast. But give us a shout, ask us any questions you have, or teach us a little bit about what you do, if uh, if that's possible. So thank you guys for listening today. And we will chat with you guys soon.
1: Bye. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.